Good. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 24 today. That's where we're going to be. And, and to get us going, I want to <clears throat> take you back to a time in my life. I was a single man at the Kansas City Baptist Temple. And, and during that time, I was trusting the Lord for a wife. And man, did God answer the cry and prayer of my heart. He went above and beyond and blessed me with an incredible wife that I have been more than happily married to for over 18 years. But as a single man at KCBT during that time, I received some very wise counsel regarding trusting God for a wife, and the counsel went something like this. I, I, I received a few pieces of counsel during that time, but what I'm going to share with you now is a piece of counsel I got that I have never forgotten, and it's something that I have passed on to my children uh, regarding trusting God for me, and it goes like this. I was told, you want to see a woman in all the seasons of life. You need to see that. You want to see her in all the seasons of life. We all like it. I know I do. If you ask me what the ideal day looks like weather-wise, give me about 80 degrees, a light breeze, sunny, and no humidity. Anybody will take that year-round? I'll take that year-round. I mean, that, that is, I'll tell you what, one of the greatest days that Lori and I ever had, it was on our honeymoon, we were in Minnesota, and we were at this beautiful lake, and we were, having, we were sharing an ice cream cone together. And we're, we're sitting in, in front of this beautiful, big, blue lake. It was about 75 degrees. It was sunny. It was a light breeze and no humidity. And we're on our honeymoon. And we're just sitting there enjoying ice cream, enjoying each other, and talking, and discovering each other. It was great. I mean, who can't live and survive in that type of situation? But as we have all learned by now, that's not how life works completely, does it? We don't get that day every day, do we? We don't. We don't. There are some other days that come with life. We're talking about those days where with the wind chilled, it's minus eight. Life brings you those days too. And the roads are slick. And it is boiling cold. That's life. And I'm so very thankful for that counsel that I received so long ago because before I said I do to Lori, I did, in fact, have an opportunity, a very difficult opportunity, a very trying opportunity to see her in all the seasons of life. We did have a season during our dating and engagement period that it was, if you could say, minus eight with the wind chill spiritually. It's tough. And I got to see her. I got to see what she really believed about God. I got to see what she really thought of me. It was important for me to see her in that season, and it was important for her to see me in that season. It's critical. And how she handled that negative eight situation before we said I do is how she has handled those days in the 18 plus years that we have been married. I know how she's going to respond. So we're going to get to 
our vision focus as a class. We're going to get to that very soon, and we'll get back to Colossians chapter 3, which I'm extremely excited about. But today, because of where we are, as I waited on the Lord, I, I really felt compelled to speak with you from Proverbs 24 and verse 10. If you haven't found your way there, you'll want to do so now. But Proverbs 24, 10, <clears throat> we read, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. What I want you to see out of the gate is I want you to see the certainty of adversity. I want you to see the certainty of adversity. The meaning of this word adversity is very insightful. It means tightness. Tightness. That gives you a lot of insight into what we're getting at here. So it has in view being in a strait. You ever felt like you've been in that situation where you're in a tight spot, you're in a strait, and you, can't, you can barely move? You're in a tight spot, you're in a jam. That's adversity. It's not a comfortable place to be, but as certain as it is, it is as uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, they both are. The day of adversity is spoken of as when it comes, not if it will come. It's certain. That day, those days do come. Job and his wife, they experienced this day. And while life could not have been more, not just better, but life could not have been more perfect for them before this day showed up. And one of the things about this day that can be so challenging for us is this day can seem very rude because it comes unannounced, doesn't it? It's not like the day of adversity schedules an appointment in your life, does it? It doesn't knock on the door of your life and say, listen, you, do you have a few moments I want to talk with you about this day of adversity that I, I want to bring your way, and it's going to, that's not how it works, is it? That's not how it worked with Job. This day just shows up unannounced, and it is bad, and man, does it have some attitude. But Job certainly understood the certainty of this day. Look at Job 2 and verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job understood that as certain as good days are in life, evil days are as certain. He understood that. Life, I mean, when you look at Job chapter 1, before everything blew up, life was, I mean, man, it was ideal, it was perfect, it was comfortable, it was 80 degrees with the sun, with a light breeze, and no humidity year-round. That was the condition of Job's life before this day showed up. Solomon spoke about this day again in Ecclesiastes where in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, he said, Remember now, thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, 
when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. It wasn't that the evil days weren't coming. It was that they hadn't come yet. So listen, parents, you know what this tells us? Please get this, parents. You know what this tells you and I? This tells us that one of the things that we had better be doing in our training and teaching is teaching our children about the reality and the certainty of this day. Because guess what? It will not pass them over. The evil day, evil days await them. It doesn't matter how much I love them. It doesn't matter how much I want to protect them from hard times and hard days and hard moments. This day is as certain in their life. It is in the forecast of their life. It's coming. And so we have to teach them and train them and prepare them for this day. This has been one of the blessings for me as a father. It's been one of the, it's given me a great teaching opportunity with my kids over this over these last nine months in particular. Hey, listen, welcome to life, guys. Welcome to life. These kinds of things are going to happen. You're going to lose things. Things are going to be taken away from you. You're going to experience loss. Welcome to life. It does not discriminate against you. I don't care who you are. I've come to learn that believers, while claiming to believe the Bible, there are two things that we struggle with, and I get it, but there are two things that we struggle with about life. We struggle with days of adversity, we struggle with the certainty of adversity, and we struggle with the brevity of life. We just do, because both are hard and uncomfortable, and we don't like them, and we, sh and we know both are certain. We know that there are going to be days of adversity, and we know that people are going to physically pass on. This is why Moses said, Lord, teach us to what? Number our days. Why? Because they're short. We know this, but it's still hard. These days are certain. So next, we should consider the challenge of adversity. It's certain. But the challenge of adversity. From what we see in Proverbs 24.10, the day of adversity challenges something. It challenges our faith. It challenges our faith. If thou faint in the day of adversity, it says... The day of adversity, listen, it always reveals what you believe about God. Every time. The day of adversity reveals what you believe about God. Israel found themselves in a day of adversity in 1 Samuel 13. The Philistines had gathered against them to go to war and they had 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand of the seashore in multitude. I'd say that's a day of adversity. When you're staring down the barrel of that, that's a day of adversity. 
Look at 1 Samuel 13, 6 in your notes and see how they responded to that. <clears throat> when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, tightness, day of adversity, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, as for Saul. He was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Israel fainted in the day of adversity. Some of them hid. Some of them ran. They were trembling. But here's what no one did including King Saul. No one cried out to God. <laughs> no one did. No one prayed. Saul, just like the rest of them, fainted too, and what did he do? He made a fatal mistake, didn't he? A fatal mistake. Why did they all faint? They all fainted because of what we read in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's why they fainted. They fainted in the day of adversity because they did not pray in the day of adversity. And they did not pray in the day of adversity because their faith was weak. That's why. We have to know. We are either praying or we're fainting. As a rule, in your life, in your walk, you are either praying or you're fainting. That is your reality and mine. If you're not praying without ceasing, you are fainting regularly, you are weak, and when, not if, that day shows up, you will not be ready, and it will overtake you. And you will faint like Israel did. Now, we need to consider Saul's exchange with Samuel because it is too consistent with how we often respond to this day. Look at verse 11 of 1 Samuel 13. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? Of course, this was after Saul presumptuously and foolishly offered a sacrifice which was out of bounds because he was not a priest. And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and listen, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. What did Saul do? He blamed Samuel. The day had not yet passed. Samuel was not late. Samuel did come on the day that he said he would come, as he told him in 1 Samuel chapter 10. The issue was he had not come fast enough for Saul. 
And Saul was in a day of adversity. He was in a strait. And he was walking by sight, not by faith. But what Saul did is very typical. When things get hard, not if, but when things get hard, and they're not ideal, and they're not comfortable, who can I blame? Whose feet can I lay this at? I'm uncomfortable. Who's responsible for me being uncomfortable? Who did this? Sound familiar? And guess what? We blame God too. Some disagreed that we should have had all church retreat. Why would we do that? How foolish and reckless and inconsiderate is that? Some disagree that we should not have had mission focus. Why would we do such a thing given what is going on in the world? Obviously, since then, we've seen and we are seeing an increase in COVID cases at NBT. So who do we blame for that? Someone has to be held accountable for that. Whose decision was that? Who was so irresponsible, inconsiderate, and unloving toward God's people? We don't like this. We don't like uh, being at half strength. We don't like people not being here. We don't like people being sick and all of that. I agree. I don't like it either. So who do we blame for that? I mean, this is how it works, right? It's, okay, I'm a, I'm a sports fan, and I was watching your game yesterday, and, and I, I always, I, whenever you see this, <clears throat> this always tells me, excuse me, always tells me when a team is in trouble is when they're in, a, in, a, in an adverse situation, an uncomfortable moment in a game where, where something doesn't go right, and they start pointing things at each other and blaming each other. So yesterday, I'm watching uh, the Rams-Packers uh, uh, game, okay? And, and there's a play, of course, Aaron Rodgers is, is after Patrick Mahomes, the guy's pretty special. I do think Mahomes is better than Rodgers, just so we're clear. Um, but there was a play in the game where it was just a really good play, great play call, great execution, and sure enough, Devontae Adams scored a touchdown and the player on the other team, on the Rams, man, he starts throwing a tantrum. At who? At his fellow teammate. And then he goes to the sideline, and now he's yelling and screaming at one of the coaches. Okay, it didn't go right. I get it. It, it, it didn't, okay, it was a mistake. What, okay, but, but, but man, we can't turn on each other. We have to stay together. <laughs> We have to circle the wagons. We have to stay committed to the Lord and to each other. The last thing we do is, man, we don't turn on each other. That's a no-no. All Saul needed to do was believe the word that he had been given by Samuel and cry out to God from a place of faith. That's all he had to do. But by his own admission, he didn't even do that. Look at verse 12. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. 
And listen, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I haven't prayed. You're the king. (laughs) If anybody better pray, it better be you. And I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Do you understand that when you don't cry out, when you don't pray, you force yourself to do things that God is not in? And you reap that. Again, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Saul melted down, made a foolish decision, and then tried to blame Samuel because he refused to pray. Man, that's awful. Subtly, it was subtle, but but subtly, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, did the same thing with Jesus. Subtly, she blamed him for his death. Look at what the Bible says in John eleven thirty two. 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You catch that? So Jesus, if you would have been here, we would not be in this day of adversity. That's the reasoning. Subtle, but that's exactly what she was doing. She was blaming him for this day that she wanted no part of. Again, we struggle with these days of adversity, and we struggle with the brevity of life. God, why? What are you doing? Why did you allow this to happen? What is going on? I am uncomfortable. I am in a strait. I don't like this. This has to get better. And God, I'm so uncomfortable, and I despise it so much that I'm going to blame you for it. Two issues with the blame game regarding the day of adversity. Number one, in doing so, we assume that the days of adversity can and should be avoided. That's what we're saying. Like, man, let's do all that we can. We want nothing to do with this day. (laughs) Let's do what we can not to have it. That's just not reality, though. Remember, they are certain, and not only are they certain, but... They are necessary. Do you understand that you need these days? I need these days. I need to be afflicted. I need to be sick. I need to have tough moments in my life. I need that. You need that. There are things that we learn about our Lord. There are things that we learn about his word. There are things that we learn about prayer. There are things we learn about grace. There are things we learn about mercy. There are things we learn about faith that we would Mark, you told me to lure, and I did. That was his fault. How about that? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm like, man, what is going on? I'm like, what is, like, you're going on. That's what's going on, man. 
I love it. 1 Peter 5.10. It shows you why we need these days. But the God of all grace, do you know him that way? Do you know him as the God of all grace? He is. Listen, he's not just the God of all grace at salvation. He is the God of all grace after it as well. Some of us subconsciously have the idea that after God saved us by his grace, he went bankrupt after that, after we got saved. Like he spent it all. No way. He is the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that, ye have suffered a while. What does he do? What does God do with suffering? What does God do with adversity? What does God do with sickness? What does God do with affliction? What does God do with tough times? What does God do with tough seasons? What does God do when you experience great and deep loss? What does God do, man, when you feel like the very ground that you're standing on has just gone? What does he do with that? Here's what he does with it. He makes you perfect. He establishes you. He strengthens you. And he settles you. It's not a waste of God's time. God is not bored. God is not picking on you. God is not just trying to figure out what he can do just to make life a little bit more interesting for you. God is working in and through you. We need these times. We have to have them. At some point as a church, we had to face adversity. We had to. The day of adversity is not optional for a church or a believer. So if it wasn't COVID, it was going to be something else. But we were not going to avoid or skip this day. So there is no one to blame, but listen, there is someone to cry out to. There's no one to blame, but there is someone to cry out to, which is what Israel and Saul did not do. And if we fail to do so, we will faint. I want to take you back to that counsel I received so many years ago as a single man at KCBT, seeing a woman in all the seasons of life. Because when things get tough, and they do, one of the things I have always treasured and I thank God for about Lori and our marriage is when those times have come, and I'm telling you, we've had some tough days, we've had some tough seasons, Lori and I have always come together in the Lord. We've always come together. We don't bicker, we don't point fingers, we don't come apart. Well, if you wouldn't have done that, if you hadn't, if you hadn't overlooked this, or if you, would have, if you would have caught that, or... No. No, 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 no. That solves nothing. Gets us nowhere and is completely unproductive. Some of the most special, memorable moments I have ever had in my marriage have been times I remember, as I'm standing here right now, have been times where together with tears running down our face, she and I on our knees crying out to the Lord. God help us. 
God, we're weak. God, we can't. God, we don't know. God, we don't have this. We don't have that. God, I don't understand. God, this is hard. God, this hurts. God, we need wisdom. God, we need grace. God, we need strength. God, we need mercy. God, we need comfort. God, we need to feel your love. Help us, Lord, together. Together. Here's the other issue regarding the blame game in the day of adversity, what we really do is admit that we do not believe that God really is in control. One of the things I've learned about us is we give people way too much power and way too much credit. We do. We just overlook God because clearly these people and these situations are so much bigger than him. He can't be in control. When Mary blamed Jesus for Lazarus' death, notice what he said to her sister Martha in John 11, verse 40. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Now we're getting there. Now we're getting there. Guess what? Days of adversity are about one thing and one thing only. They're about the glory of God. That's what days of adversity are about. That's what seasons of adversity are about. That's what months of adversity are all about. That's what years of adversity are all about. They are all about the glory of God. They are. Consider John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See what they're doing? Who can we blame for this adversity? It's how we roll. Whose feet can we lay this blindness at? Who did it? Who caused it? Who was irresponsible? Who was sinful? Whose sin is he reaping? And then look at what Jesus said in verse 3. Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. It wasn't about his blindness. It wasn't about his sin. And it wasn't about the irresponsibility of his parents. It was about the power and glory of God. That's what the blindness was all about. That's what the adversity was all about. I tested positive for COVID and so did Lori. But what really caught my attention in a major way is when I'm looking on the portal and I see the results for Kenneth Preston Morgan II, who is asthmatic, and he too is positive. Really caught my attention. Not good. That moment had been percolating in my mind for months. 
Lord, I trust you with him. He's yours. But wisdom says, we better be careful. I mean, God, I've seen this young man struggle with a common cold. I mean struggle to the point where we've had to take him to see a doctor because his breathing or his oxygen was low over a common cold. We're not dealing with a common cold right now. It's much more severe than that, isn't it? I've been in the ER with him as a child where they said, listen, we're not going to release him until he goes home with a nebulizer. Out of faith, we would not hide him at home for a year. God would not have been pleased with that. I knew that. But after he tested positive, I heard, as a father, I heard one of the sweetest sounds I have ever heard in my life. How sweet the sound we sing. I mean, it was one of the sweetest sounds, and it was, it was a sound in the form of a thump, 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 thump. I'm like, Lord, that sounds so amazing. You know what the thump was? <laughs> the thump was Ken downstairs on the treadmill, man. Thump, 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 thump. And he's positive. Lord, for nine months I've been wondering and thinking, what if this young man gets COVID? God, I've seen him with a common cold. God, I've seen him struggle to breathe with a common cold. And God, I don't want him to get COVID, but... Are you feeling that? I'm not charismatic in doctrine, but I have my moments. <laughs> you just saw one of them. That's a sweet sound. Not in the ER, not on a ventilator. God says, I know for nine months you've been wondering. You've been thinking about this. Here's your answer. In case you did not know, I am faithful and true. Just so you know. We tend to despise days of adversity. But man, does God use them. So instead of trying to figure out who to blame, how about we get preoccupied with giving God glory? He's not dead. He's not been dethroned. He is still who the Bible says that he is. Finally, we see the conclusion of adversity. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. The dust does clear on this day. 
It does come to a close. And when it does, it reveals or it brings a conclusion. And here's what it reveals. It reveals the size of our strength. It's what it does. It's either big or it's small. <laughs> this is what adversity always does. It reveals, the, it reveals how weak or how strong you are. Fainting is the proof of the size of our faith. It's small. It's not big. It's weak. It's not strong. The day of adversity is never about what someone did or did not do. God has to become much bigger than that to you. As it pertains to us personally, when the dust clears on this day, the question that we have to ask and answer is, are we strong or are we weak? Now, that calls a clarification because the reality is, is the flesh is what? Weak. That's the truth. So if it's based on how strong we are in the flesh, well then absolutely, yeah, I will fail that day. I will fail in that day miserably, and so will you. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? Because here is what we're getting at. If we're going to correctly answer that question, are we strong or are we weak? It's Ephesians 6.10, isn't it? Finally, my brethren, be strong in who? The Lord. And in the power of his might. So here we go. When the dust clears on this day, here's what it reveals. It reveals whether or not we are strong or weak in the Lord. That's what it reveals. It reveals how strong or weak you are in the Lord. That's the revelation. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. I mean, I am over time. Sorry. 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. The dust has yet to clear on COVID completely here at MBT, yet it's going to. But here's what is undeniable. Uh, some who were members here said they loved God, loved us, and quoted King James Bible verses are officially done here. They've not reached out to Sam or reached out to me to make that official, but, but they're done. This was too much. This was the straw that broke their back. They're done. I don't like that. I don't appreciate that. I didn't agree with that. I didn't like that. And why did that happen? And why didn't that happen? And so, done. That's how it works. And you'll probably find out about it on Facebook or something like that. And there will be more. Is it hard to watch? Yes. It's part of it, though. It's part of the ministry turf. It's not an elective. For me, it's not about it being hard to watch as much as it's about, I need to watch it. We need to watch it. I was taught well 
by one of the best teachers that a young man could have who's growing in the Lord. Years ago, at the Kansas City Baptist Temple, I was taught by Dr. Jeff Adams that the cream always rises to the top. That is a principle that I have applied and apply day in and day out in leadership since the day I heard it. When it comes to faithfulness to the Lord and to the ministry he has given us, he will be faithful to show us who can be trusted and to what extent they can be entrusted and who cannot. I wonder what he uses to show us that. He uses days of adversity. You stand back and you just watch what people do when it gets hard, when it gets uncomfortable, when it becomes inconvenient, when it's not ideal. You just watch how they respond. And it tells you everything you need to know. This is why the Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 6, every man proclaims his own goodness. Oh, we can talk a good game. Man, we can say all the right things. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Oh, I love this church. Oh, man, I love the mission. Oh, I'm all about discipleship. Oh, man, I, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But then it gets hard. Man, where, where'd they go? They ran, they hid, just like Israel did in 1 Samuel 13. So the day of adversity is not a bad day at all. It's invaluable. God, I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, I thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.